Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Sasha Coca, and today on the California Report magazine, we've got two really great music stories for you. They're about two very different artists who each won a singing contest as a teenager, and that launched their career. It must be in the One was a vocalist who got his start in the black jazz scene in L.A. back in the 1940s and then had a career lasting eight decades. The other, a singer in 1960s Saigon who rode the wave of edgy modern music inspired by the California surf sound. That song is called Who? And it's from 1966. The singer is a woman named Fung Thum. Music critics at the time called this action music. It was nothing like the folk opera or French jazz that Vietnamese listeners were used to hearing. Fung Thum's singing career peaked from 1964 to 1966. And then she disappeared from the music scene for more than 50 years. Because I have to take care of the kid, you know. She became a doctor's wife living in suburban San Jose. It was always cooking, cleaning, going to work, um, disciplining us, uh, making sure that we were well-behaved. That's Fung Thumb's daughter, Hannah. She's the one who pushed her mom at 77 years old to reclaim her crown as Vietnam's first rock and roll queen. I didn't think my mom was cool at all. And uh, now she's, like, hot. <laughs> Reporter Christine Nguyen takes us back to the late 1950s when Fung Tham first discovered the music that would spark her career. A fortune teller said she'd be famous one day. But at 14, Nguyen Thi Tham, or Tham, was a mediocre student. But she didn't care. She had music. My house, uh, we have only one radio. Anyway, now we're going back to Richard Dimbleby in London. And my dad, uh, every day, 
He listened the news from BBC, and I want to listen music. Since her dad hogged the radio, Thum wandered the noisy village courtyard. One neighbor's radio played American pop. Thumb didn't understand the lyrics, but she loved 50s hits like Lipstick on Your Collar by Connie Francis. In 1961, at 16, Thum entered a singing competition for Duan Văn Nghệ Việt Nam, the Vietnam Culture and Arts Union. The group performed anti-communist live entertainment for military personnel. It was good money, but eventually Dum ditched the propaganda music and high school, too. She found mentors who shared her love of Western music. One renamed her Phuong Thum. It was more lyrical and meant the direction of the heart. And with that name change, her sound morphed. That's Remember the Night from 1964. Thumb had an admirer officer who followed her as she hopped from Tansanyat Air Base to Saigon nightclubs like the Paramount and the Olympia. He loved it when Thum sang this one Nat King Cole song. He said it reminded him of her enticing lips. The song is um, tenderly, the last word is, uh, you took my lips, you took my love. So tenderly. One night, the officer brought along a young new military doctor. November, November 63. She says it was November 1963, the same month Vietnam's president, Ngo Dinh Diem, was assassinated. After her set, Zhu, the young doctor, asked for her address. Tenderly, then became their song. So tenderly. Their marriage, almost three years later, between a singer and the son of an elite family, was scandalous. Their parents didn't come to their wedding. Oh, they they don't accept me. They don't accept me. But I'm already in love. Yeah. Thumb says it didn't matter. Her daughter Hannah says they were in love. But before she became a wife, Thumb became a star. The major Saigon labels recorded her songs. Here's Still Loving You Always from 1965. She headlined the nightclub circuit, and she collaborated with famous composers and musicians. It was rare to see women singing Western-style music. And in spite of, or because of, the subversiveness of her music, 
Phương Tâm kept her clothing modest. At night, I always wear outside. Always wear white or beige. Not bright. The outside was the wispy national dress of Vietnam, made famous by pictures of schoolgirls. But Phương Tâm wasn't your average schoolgirl. In a music review, famed Vietnamese writer Mai Tao wrote about the simmering power of this modestly dressed teen. As she steps from the back and moves toward the microphone, with glittering eyes, her hands clap into the beat, a new shape emerges. The figure is now drawn with burning flames, like a green fruit ripening before your eyes. But as quickly as she ascended to fame, after 1966, Phương Tâm left her singing career without a goodbye tour or a last interview. The war got worse, and she had three kids. Her oldest, Hannah, remembers hiding from bombs. The rockets would go, the sirens. So whenever we would hear the sirens, we would go into the bunker. With the fall of Saigon in 1975, the family evacuated on a cargo plane. They eventually arrived in Southern California. There, them found work, mostly random, repetitive piecework for the garment industry. One week, I, I have $60. Meanwhile, her husband studied to requalify to practice medicine. Life revolved around the kids and eventually supporting Zhu's successful pediatrics practice in San Jose. It was always cooking cleaning, going to work, um, disciplining us, uh, making sure that we were well-behaved. Hannah is a doctor like her dad. In fact, all three of them's children became doctors. Although the kids weren't particularly musical, their parents stayed in love with music. Here at Dumb and Zoo, at a music lounge in Little Saigon in Westminster. Thumb's past life as a singer was like an open secret. She didn't deny it, but she stuck to singing other people's hits, not her own. When her husband Googled her, he found YouTube videos of other women claiming to be Phương Tâm. He would show her a video almost like, Trời ơi, con gì mình làm cái gì? Uh, what? Look at this. Whoever put this video up and use your name. Then in 2019, Thumb's husband died after a prolonged illness. My mom and my dad were always a couple. Wherever they went over to their friend's house, it was never without the other. His death was a turning point for Hannah and Thumb. Hannah went searching for more information about her mom's past life. She stumbled across compilations of Vietnamese wartime rock music including the most successful album to date, called Saigon Rock and Soul. The album included a Phương Tâm song, Magical Night, only it wasn't really her. It was a cover by another singer named Connie Kim, is this you on the cover smoking? And she said, oh, they are liar. I never smoke. Hannah kept finding more fake Phương Tâm YouTube videos. Bực mình hết tại vì bác thấy có nhiều người kỳ quá. 
It was Phung uh, Tam, but someone else's picture, someone else's voice, singing her songs, and she got upset. And she asked me, can you change it? And I said, no, the only way to change it is we have to do it ourselves. Hannah's idea was to make her own compilation of real Phuong Tham songs, a mix of whatever old versions she could find and maybe upload it to YouTube. But with the help of a producer and his connections around the world, she ended up with something more ambitious. They found rare original records and reel-to-reel tapes, repaired the tracks, and created a studio-quality album. And two years later, we have have an album. That's Dreamy Love, first recorded in 1965 and now restored on the album Magical Nights. The process brought mother and daughter closer together. I didn't think my mom was cool at all. And uh, now she's, like, hot. (laughs) And it helped them reclaim her identity, separate from one, as a wife and a mother. The first time Thum heard the newly restored songs like Bygone Twisted Days from 1965, Thum cried. She hadn't heard some of these songs for over 50 years and had almost forgotten about them. But when Hannah found them, Thum remembered. She remembered who played the keyboard, who played the guitar. She remembered the camaraderie of early morning meals after a night singing. She wished her husband Zoo who had been with her at the peak of her career, could have heard them again, too. Hello. Hi. Them still sings. I caught up with her on New Year's Day when she performed at a neighbor's house in San Jose. The guests... Eat it up. One man tells me the music takes him back to his childhood, before the worst of the Vietnam War. This is Do You Remember from 1965. Documentaries and movies of the Vietnam War often feature American rock music. In fact, on my first flight back to Vietnam after my family fled, I looked out the window to the jungle below. The Doors song, The End, played in my head. Up to then, Western songs were my cultural reference. But Vietnamese musicians were part of that soundtrack, too. 
and one of the first was Dam, once known as Phuong Dam. She's not a teenager anymore. She's 77 and confident in a spangly top, and she's ready for her victory tour. For the California Report, I'm Christine Nguyen in San Jose. Heads up that Christine's story will also be coming out for listeners and readers in Vietnamese in the coming weeks. Phuong Tham in her spangly top, still performing at 77, has a lot to teach all of us about joy. And here on our show, we want to share more stories about how Californians like you are finding happiness and resilience these days. This is life, and life is the full spectrum. It's life and death and stress and happiness and joy. We're all together on this, and we got to stay positive. Here's to spreading joy and to having that keep us healthy. Cheers to that. People are compassionate. People have dreams. And when you put all this together, it's pretty amazing to be alive. I love singing. I love music. It's so healing and it's so powerful. I have made the decision in life to actively invest in joy. So how can I not invest in hope? If you want to share how you're finding joy right now in these times, leave us a voicemail at 415-636-9801. Or you can send us an email at calreportmag at kqed.org. That's calreportmag at kqed.org. First of all, there are people on earth who really can get with Ernie Andrews right down to what he's talking about into the middle of the nitty-gritty. <laughs> now, <laughs> thank you. Since we know this is possible, right now we're going to take care of business. Here's a great Ernie Andrews, ladies and gentlemen. That's jazz great Cannonball Adderley introducing vocalist Ernie Andrews back in 1964. There's no place on earth that I'd rather be Give me the bright lights Big cities for me He was one of the great ballad and blues men of jazz. A suave song stylist whose career spanned almost eight decades, Ernie Andrews was one of the last direct links to the glory days of the Central Avenue jazz scene in Los Angeles. Play jazz, you have to know your instrument, you have to know your music, and you have to put it together, and it's a skill. That's Ernie Andrews talking about his craft in the 1986 documentary Central Avenue Blues. While he never quite became a star, Berkeley music writer and critic Andy Gilbert says Ernie Andrews was an indispensable figure on the Southern California music scene until his death last month at the age of 94. Andy joins me now to remember Ernie Andrews. Hey there, Andy. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about Ernie Andrews' backstory. How did he get started? Well, you know, he was born in Philadelphia, but he really spent most of his adolescence in New Orleans and started singing there. And by the time he got to Los Angeles in his late teens and enrolled at Jefferson High School, he was pretty much ready for the big time. He won an 
amateur contest at the Lincoln Theater, and he was heard by the songwriter Joe Green, who wrote the song Soothe Me, which became um, Ernie Andrews' first hit, selling hundreds of thousands of copies. And he wasn't even 18 yet. Make your kisses like the honey oozing from the bee. Love me till I'm numb with ecstasy. Soothe me, baby, soothe me. So, Andy, this was the era when jazz in L.A. was really centered around Central Avenue, which was considered kind of a downtown for Black Angelinos at that time. For folks who may not know that history, can you tell us a little bit more about the jazz scene and how Ernie Andrews fit into it? Yeah, you know, Central Avenue was an incredibly vital scene. You know, it was the main stem in South Central Los Angeles, and There were so many opportunities to work there, tons of clubs. And for a young man like Ernie, tall, poised, really skilled and hungry, he was able to perform regularly with some of the best players. Andy, what do you think set Ernie Andrews apart as a vocalist? Part of what set him apart was his versatility. He could sing anything. He could croon a ballad. He could shout the blues like a Kansas City blues shouter. He could take a pop song and really turn it into a jazz vehicle. He was like the best jazz artist, was really idiosyncratic, and he could be really funny. He'd sing a blues in sort of a Cockney accent. And his dynamic control was exquisite. He would start with this sort of purr and build up to where he was just projecting. And it was so powerful because he had earned that volume. Um, He really knew how to put his stamp on any song he sang. Ernie Andrews, of course, was a groundbreaking black jazz singer who was launching his career in the late 40s and early 50s. Do you think racism against black artists might have held him back? Segregation in the 40s and in the 50s and 60s, it made touring um, really difficult for black artists um, in a lot of places. So he definitely faced that. When he was on the road with the Harry James Band, a mostly white band, there was always drama when it came to checking in to the hotel. And it wasn't unusual for a hotel to try and turn him away. Um, James, to his credit, would insist that Ernie stay with the band. He was a member of the band. Andy, why do you think Ernie Andrews never became more well-known, you know, outside of the L.A. jazz scene? Did he ever come close to breaking through and, and getting wider fame? You know, he came close many times. There were these great opportunities that just sort of never seemed to hit. Alto saxophonist Cannonball Adderley, who helped make vocalist Nancy Wilson a star in 1962, 
With the album they recorded together, he tried to do the same thing with Ernie Andrews just two years later. Ernie is billed on the cover as the exciting new voice, even though he'd had a hit almost 20 years before. But the idea was to reintroduce him to the jazz world, you know, after he'd been on the road all those years with Harry James. It's a classic album, but it didn't quite do the trick. Do you have a favorite track from that album? Well, you know, I love the song I'm Always Drunk in San Francisco, which you know really could have done for Ernie what I Left My Heart in San Francisco did for Tony Bennett and really just been a signature hit. And I don't know if I've really ever heard anyone else sing it. It never happens nowhere else. It must be in the air. Ernie just kills it. It's Can't got a great punchline. Because I'm drunk in San Francisco. And I don't drink at all. In the 1970s, Kenny Burrell, the great guitarist, featured him on this fantastic project, Ellington is Forever, and Ernie sounds amazing on that. raised his profile, but sort of didn't didn't do it. And, th- and that happened several more times over the years. And in the end, I think Ernie just decided, you know, his career was what it was. He was going to make the albums that he could. And, you know, I, I don't think he was happy about it, but I don't think he was, was plagued by it either. Andy, do you think the fact that he was so versatile, that he could do so many things, hindered him in any way? Like, you know, he wasn't really a specialist in any one genre, so maybe people couldn't pin him down? You know, it's possible. I think it may have presented a problem for producers and labels. They just weren't sure how to showcase his talent really effectively. Um, and, And so I think when you look at his discography, you could sort of see that no one, until really quite later in his career, really put together an album um, that that showed everything or focused on a particular thing he could do in that way. Even though Ernie Andrews never broke through and, and found mainstream success, it sounds like he never stopped working. It's true, and people never stopped trying to push him forward. I think the last valiant effort was in 2014 when the Clayton Hamilton Jazz Orchestra released an album called The L.A. Treasure Project. And it features Ernie and vocalist Barbara Morrison. And his version of the ballad, Time After Time, is just gorgeous. And he's 86 years old, and there's so much feeling there. It's just a beautiful piece. Loving you. 
Well, Andy, thanks so much for joining us and sharing Ernie Andrews' story and legacy with us. Do you have another favorite from him that you want us to go out with? One of my favorite pieces of Ernie's was James Taylor's Fire and Rain. He really turned it into an epic piece. And I think, let's let's go out with that, Sasha. I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I That's music writer and critic Andy Gilbert telling us about the life of jazz vocalist Ernie Andrews, who died last month. He was 94 years old. our show for this week. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. Susie Racho is our producer director. And our sound engineer is Brendan Willard. Our team also includes Amanda Font and Izzy Bloom. Special thanks this week to Luke Lamb. And I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks so much for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.